Uh, Mark Baker is uh, a professor at Fresno Pacific, has been one of my professors. Uh, his wife, Lynn Baker, is a spiritual director. She's actually on our spiritual director card back at the Connect table. Some of you in this room actually have Lynn as a spiritual director, which is really cool. Uh, but we're going to continue in our series this morning with open hands, um, receiving, receiving through releasing, and we want to ha- talk around the topic of technology. Does anybody use technology? And No? Okay. Not burning a hole through your pocket right now. Everyone's like, oh, I got to go back and check that thing and get that. You know, anyways, Mark will t- take the rest of that for you. Uh, but he's going to lead us in a talk here. We'll open up for some question and response. So as he's talking, just be paying attention to what's standing out to you. Uh, and then we'll work into a reflection and, and close out after that. So can we welcome Mark this morning? Thank you. So last week, a, a neighbor... Uh, asked us to pray for her mother who is in the hospital. After emergency surgery, she was alone in recovery room. She had tested positive for COVID. And Lynn and I, we, we felt this deep sympathy for this woman because our neighbor told us, you know, they were calling her, FaceTiming, but it's not the same, right? We felt that she's alone in the room. Presence matters. Presence matters. And this is right at the center of the Christian faith. God did not send a fax from heaven to tell us about who God is. God came in the flesh, in the person, incarnation. Presence matters. And we live in an age of absence. Sherry Turkle, an author sociologist, psychologist, writes, titled her book, We Are Alone Together. Alone Together. Digital communication connects us with those who are far away and separates us from those who are near. It erodes the power of presence. When have you experienced this recently? Experienced something like you're seeing in these pictures You've been separated from people who are close at hand because they're connected somewhere else. Now, I want to be careful uh, to not be totally negative, so ease of connection. Like, what a wonderful thing. You can use your phone to remind you to, to pray at 11.02. Great. Good thing. So, uh, I was, uh, lived in Honduras for 10 years, and when I first lived there, this was a long time ago, 1980, um, my only means of communication was letters. Like phone calls were really expensive. And you know, I would write a letter and like the soonest I could hope for a response was like three weeks. Um, so imagine when we got email years later and on the same day, you know, even the same hour, I got a response. So connection to those who are distant, technology, there's great things about us. So I'm not saying that. Many positives, but all of us here this morning, we may have different opinions on, you know, how much negative, how much positive, but we all know there are negatives. We feel it. We experience it. So I'm not going to give a lot of time to going over negatives, just mention a few um, distraction. And then through social media, it has fueled polarization in our society. Um, It separates us from people, um, it also absorbs time, captures our attention, and, and it's not just people it separates us from, but you know, good, positive activities as well. And there's, 
there's swirls and layers of it. So this is, uh, this is a quote from a student who wrote this after a, a fast she did for my class. And I wish you just feel the layers in this and the, the swirls. And she says, I realized how much time and energy I spent caring about what other people were doing on social media. And, and the difference here, you know, peer pressure is not a new thing, but now it's 24-7. It used to be only when you're out in public, but it's, she said, yeah, what are other people doing? Instead of using that energy to focus on today and what I need to get done, I also realize how much social media makes me, makes me feel like I need to work harder to catch up to others, but then what happens? Social media takes the time and she can't do that. Feel the swirl. Okay, so as I said, just very quickly over negatives, but here's the, the one important point um, I want to make this morning about this is all of this is complicated by the fact that our devices, our screens are not passive. This week, there will be very smart people spending their days up in Silicon Valley, Seattle, other places around the world, trying to think how to get you to give more of your attention to your screens and your devices. And you know this. I mean, they're using logarithms. Um, you know, they, 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 they had the video pop up, so you'll watch another one. They're working hard to keep grabbing our attention. It's not passive. Therefore, it calls for active resistance. We can't enter into this casually and just say, oh yeah, I'll work at this. I mean, this is different than, you know, saying, I need to start exercising more. Like, that's willpower. Like, we'll just, you know, it's me and we'll work on this. Willpower, casual, it's not enough in this because there are these active forces seeking to keep us from doing that. Um, we must work at this intentionally and we must work at it with the support of others. Andy Crouch has written a great book on this topic, The TechWise Family. And Andy is, um, it's, it's not one of these books of, you know, hey, I've only got a flip phone, you should too, or I've got rid of my, like he loves technology. He writes, technology's fruits are to be celebrated and delighted in. A phrase from the subtitle is key. Putting technology in its proper place. So he begins the book with seven observations about this proper place. He says, quote, technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It's out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. And then his final of those seven observations is technology does not stay in its proper place on its own. You have to work at it. Um, so he, he ends that section by saying, we haven't eliminated devices from our lives by any means, but we, his family, go to great lengths to prevent them from taking over our lives. So in a lot of ways, this is a moderate book, right? He's not saying, oh, get rid of everything. But he says this, the book remains a radical one. Why? And here I'm quoting him. Because keeping technology in its proper place will require choices that most of our neighbors are not making. So this is a radical book. At the heart of the book is 10 commitments that he and his family made 
to seek to keep technology in its place. I'll just share four of them with you this morning. We are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year, we turn off our devices, worship, feast, play, and rest together. One hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Number four in his list, we wake up before our devices do and go to bed before, and they go to bed before we do. Number six, we use screens for a purpose. We use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. And number seven, car time is conversation time. So, it's a great book. I uh, urge you to read the book, practice his ideas, um, but we need more. We must go deeper, more than just willpower and discipline. So I want to end with two more points. We need to go below the surface, the first point, and ask why. Why is the attraction here? So again, quoting from a student who wrote this after her fast in my class, I, in my most consumed moments of social media and technology, there are instances where I become aware I'm looking for something. I ask myself in that moment, what am I looking for? What do I need right now in this moment that I think social media can fill? Is it friendship, connection, personal meaning, motivation? Am I avoiding something? Am I seeking attention, recognition? So, before turning to social media, before going to YouTube, before clicking on that clickbait, stop and ask these kind of questions. Why? What, what do I need? What am I looking for? So, another below-the-surface element is the love of God is a powerful antidote to the pull to seek status and identity from social media. And the love of God is healing medicine to toxic messages we absorb from our screens. Therefore, an important step of resistance and healing is resting in the identity you have as a beloved child of God. So let us go deeper, below the surface. Willpower, actions, and more. So let's do a little of that right now to end. I want to take you into a guided prayer experience. So I invite you all close your eyes. I invite you to imagine just a few scenes from the Gospels looking at Jesus. So imagine Jesus welcoming children. Imagine him, him saying, come to me. Imagine Jesus looking with compassion on the woman caught in adultery and saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Imagine Jesus sitting at a table inviting an excluded tax collector to a meal, looking at him with eyes of love, compassion. Imagine Jesus calling a common fisherman to be his disciple. Now, with those images of Jesus in mind, now I want to put, I invite you to put yourself into this 
imaginary story. Imagine this Jesus looking you in the eyes, saying your name, telling you you are a beautiful child of God, loved and accepted as you are. Rest in this loving compassion of Jesus. From this place of belovedness, resting in Jesus' loving embrace, let us take active steps of freedom. Let, let us take active steps of freedom from the forces seeking to capture our attention and define who we are. And from this place of connection with Jesus, in this age of absence, may we be present to someone in great need of presence this week. Amen. And now before we go into a more altogether time of questioning um, and answers, I invite you just to uh, yeah, look at these two questions and then turn to the person next to you and take a few minutes and share some of your responses to these questions. What soul formation or misformation is taking place when we go to sleep and arise with our emails and social media feeds, TV, bookending our bodily rest? What types of desires do digital practices encourage in us? How are they training us to love something very different from the kingdom of God? So quickly, turn to your neighbor, share uh, some thoughts on that, on those questions. You can start, whoever's sharing, just kind of start wrapping down your last thought. And as you're winding down, we're going to use a bit of technology if you would like to. Um, We're going to have the option for you to text in uh, some questions, and then Andrew's also going to walk around with a microphone, and again, he'll graciously hold it in front of your face and not let you take it from him. Um, So if you want to ask a question in person, you can raise your hand, Andrew will come to you. If you want to text in a question, go ahead and send that there. If you haven't done that, if you text the word Midtown to 9400 for the first time, and then you can just freely type. If you've done that before, you have the prompt, and you can just type directly into it. Uh, So all we want to do here is just interact with Mark a little bit. He spends a lot of time in this stuff, um, and I think there would just be some extra depth here if there's some real applicable questions to your life and what can be drawn out. Um, So does anybody want to get us started? If not, I will. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so I'll start off. So yeah, I'm just curious, Mark, in in your opinion, what are some ways to measure if we're using technology too much or not? 
Well, the first thing that popped in my mind was ask the people around you. Um, I, yeah, so on the card that you're going to get this week, I encourage you, take a fast. And um, it has impressed me over the years when students do this, how much they notice. So I think maybe, yeah, ask people around you, but maybe yourself take experience away from it, and that maybe will show you, um, I mean, painful things, very good things, but I mean, good that they saw it, but to, for a student to say, you know, I realize how often my kids are actually looking at me and saying, oh, daddy, put that away. And um, so, yeah, pay attention to people around you, take a fast and see what you see. Yeah, that's good. And I got one, one through text here. Um, how does technology, or is technology, a parallel to the biblical language of powers and principalities? Wow. Let's go. Gold star for that question. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think so. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm trying to get, get at that a little bit with that active thing. But, um, yes. I mean, if we go in the, the definition, you know, uh, my sense of principalities and powers in the, in the Bible and New Testament and Paul, you know, it's not just individual demons, but it's this sense of um, forces that, you know, you have humans together, like the Pentagon. It's, you know, these people go to work every day, but there's something about the Pentagon that is more than just the humans combined there. And I think that is true. Yeah, Facebook, YouTube. And, and, but you mix into that mammon. I mean, mammon is definitely principality and power. So if you, if you combine mammon with this drive for efficiency, which I think lies behind technology, um, th- there are spiritual forces here, which, again, what I'd say, yeah, like take Andy Crouch's ideas, but there is more to this than just discipline and willpower. And mammon there being financial provision? Yeah, sorry. So mammon, money, wealth. So, you know, Jesus said you can't serve God and, God and mammon. You can't serve God and money, wealth. And so, you know, our dollar bills, that's just a piece of paper, but there's a, there's a spirit of money. And you combine that with this drive for efficiency and technology, um, and definitely I would put that in principalities and powers. Yeah, yeah that's good. Any live questions? Andrew stretched before to make sure that he was ready. Do you have one? Are you on? I was going to say, oh, make, me, make me move. Come on. So the, the phone and technology is a tool. So how do we redeem that and use it for positivity in our daily lives? Do you have any advice or strategies for that? Um, so I'm going to borrow a line here from John Dyer, who is... Um, who's a techie, so I, and I'm not. Um, he was like the head online education person at Dallas Seminary, and he's written a book on this. And, um, so he was, this is in a column in Christianity Today, they were asking people, and he said, he was talking about for a church using technology in church, but I think it could apply individually too. And so he said, the best technology for a church to use is any technology that they reflect on before they use it. And he said, the worst technology for any church to use is one that they just unthinkingly adapt, adopt. 
I think it's an overstatement. Like, I wouldn't go that far on either of them. But he's making a great point there of um, intentionality. And I think as society, as individuals, as churches, you know, if it's more efficient, we go buy it. Um, if, if, yeah, and we use it, and we're not reflecting. So I think on positive uses, the, yeah, I mean, we're drenched with technology right now, right? I mean, look, you know, I'm wearing this microphone, you're texting in. Um, so there are positive uses. I write a blog, like, what, where would that be if it wasn't with technology? But I don't think there's a simple answer of trying to separate into positive uses and negative uses, and they can be different for different people. Um, but I think, again, reflection, and I want to underscore doing it with others. Let's not try to do this on our own. Andy Crouch has a new book out about mammon and magic. Has his stance changed on the usefulness of tech? Andy Crouch's stance? No, and I, I shouldn't, yeah. well, I don't know. What, that's a text. Uh, what's Andy yeah. Crouch's stance? So Andy actually has two books on technology, three, I think he wrote one, co-wrote one with his daughter. But So the one I referred to was his first and... Um, yeah, sort of more practical how-to. And then he has a, a second book on technology, which I don't remember the title, which he gets much more into the spiritual forces of it. And I, I wouldn't say his position changed. He's just written about it in different ways. That's my guess. So that's all of this one. If there's one more hand raised, and then I'll give us one to kind of wrap up and transition here. Uh, I think this is, this is really helpful. What, what would you say to the idea that smartphones and social media are shaping younger generations in irreversible ways? Okay, yeah, and, I, and you know, like I'm, I'm obviously not a younger generation. I'm a slow adopter. So I'm going to be very careful to not be over negative about things. So first I want to say, well, of course it's shaping them, right? But, but we've, every generation has been shaped. I mean, you know, when they started printing books, that shaped people. So it's, it's not like automatically negative that it's shaping. Um, but clearly, again, back to the point I made, it's not just the technology. That it's, there are, oh yeah, and I didn't say this, so in the thing, you know, it's not just that they're, they're working at this. I mean, there was this, this woman, uh, Frances Hagen, that um, was working at Facebook, and she, she um, you know, collected these things and was a whistleblower, and she revealed, like, Facebook knows that things they are doing are damaging teenagers' mental health, particularly girls. Like, they know that. And what do they do in response? Nothing. They kept on doing it. So, um, so again, this is, yes, it's shaping them, and there are forces behind it that don't care that it's shaping them in negative ways, which... And yeah, when you first said, I, I think you said something about me being, like, I am not an expert on this. Um, but, I, but I'm a person with conviction about this. So I teach a class about this not because I'm an expert. Like, Andy Crouch, John Dart, they're experts. But I teach about it because I have the conviction 
We as the church must respond to this. So that's what I bring to you today is conviction and some thought, not a whole, whole lot of expertise, but I call you, you know, don't be passive about this. We're, we're gonna, actually, this is very good last question to wrap up that thought, and I'm going to invite the worship team forward, and then uh, Andrew and Dusty are going to start passing out some papers to you. Um, as we wrap up this last question, keep them face down, and then I'll have us all turn them over at the same time um, as those come around. So this, this last question, at which point do we as followers of Christ, Christians, do we deviate from the mainline way of doing life? At which point? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what just comes to my mind is, well, um, continually, you know, sort of at every point. I mean, not, we're Jesus followers. That should influence everything from how I interact with a cashier to how I interact with my cell phone. Um, now, and at the same time, and, and I you know, draw this picture on the board when I start my ethics class. So I, I draw a square on a whiteboard and we say, hey, we're, we're in a square society and we're part of that society and we'll do things in that society. But we're seeking to live as alternative culture. We're a triangle in that square society. So, so in one sense, we're going to do things like society around us in every way. But in the other, in another sense, just everything we do should have a seasoning of being different. Um, I don't know. I, I probably, whoever asked that question, come up and ask me afterwards what, what you quite meant by that, because I'm not sure I got it, but thanks. It's fantastic. We thank Mark for being with us this morning. Yeah. And then, yeah, feel free. Have some further conversation with him. Again, his wife Lynn here today, uh, spiritual director, so have continue to have conversation with them, go up and say hello afterwards. Uh, what I want to do before we turn our pages over, um, I'm going to read this passage and I just want you with eyes closed to imagine yourself there. So go ahead and close your eyes. Maybe a deep breath or two just to kind of recenter. You've had information coming at you and you've been able to interact with it. Now we just want to turn to more of a reflective posture. I just want you to imagine yourself in a room with probably a pretty rough looking guy named Paul. Maybe there's 15 others there with you. Where are you sitting? What's the room look like? Who's with you? God's presence with you in the room. Paul says this to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will able, be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Turn your papers over. I'm going to read this again. And what I want for you to, to try your best is just to let God guide you to a phrase or a word as we read together. Don't put too much thought or energy into it. Just let it stand out. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. reflecting what word or phrase stands out to you. In light of today's topic, what do you feel about this text? How do you feel about your relationship to technology, to social media, to consumption of entertainment? What stirs up? Just reflect on that for a moment. that God might be extending to you. What are you to do with this from here? 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, that accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What's God's invitation to you this morning? Spend a moment just talking with God about that. Why don't we go ahead and stand together, if you're able.